Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York, with a focus on behind-the-scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design, and architecture. In this interview, pioneer designer Jacob Trollbeck tells the intriguing story behind the challenge to design a comprehensive communication system for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, or Global Goals for short, accessible for 7 billion people around the world and intended to be achieved by 2030. Jacob is speaking passionately and poetically about global sustainability as a beautiful equation of a system in total harmony, just like nature has taught us. He also tells us how this project changed his professional life, and at the end, he shares his inspiration for music that can be found in many of his playlists on Spotify. Jacob Trollbeck, very welcome to our podcast, Art Insiders New York. Thank you very much. We're sitting here in your wonderful office at the corner of Broadway and Broom at the uh, very famous Hogwarts building uh, that was built in 1857. And according to your information, it was the first building, uh, cast iron building in Soho. I think so, yeah. With a passenger elevator. Yeah, first passenger elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sort of remember that <coughs> Abraham Lincoln's wife bought... Um, porcelain to the White House. That's correct. In the department store that was downstairs. Mm -hmm. So here we are at um, Trollbeck and Company. And um, I guess my first question to you would be, so what are you doing here? I guess that the purpose is to help create uh, communication of some kind. I started, uh, I started a design studio that was focused on working with uh, film and video. So I wanted to have more of a sort of Scandinavian, European sensibility to it. And what goes with that is sort of that, you, that you're very purposeful in your design. So I coined this expression that was discard everything that means nothing. And that was all good and well. Uh, and we felt very inspired by that and we could look at all the different design ideas we had and said well what is that part doing mm -hmm. so once you have established that then you realize that 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 what you're designing has to come from somewhere mm -hmm. and a lot of the clients we had at that time didn't have much to say it could be a TV network who were just saying, oh, uh, we would like to like refresh this. We're, we're tired of the look. Yeah. Can you make it you know, <laughs> feel new and exciting? And we said, said yeah, sure. Uh, we just need to get to know your brand better. Yeah. And, uh, and then it turned out that they didn't really have a brand. Mm -hmm. So then we started to help them with that. So then, um, very quickly, we became very good at, at merging like something that that had traditionally been been taken care of of, of a combination of, of consult companies and identity companies. Mm -hmm. We came from it from a 
a little bit different point of view since we were doing material directly for the end user. Yeah. I, I kind of always think that, that, you know, we're talking about top down and bottom up and, and you should talk about inside out and outside in also when you're, when you're dealing with solving this because you're, you, design is a meaning place in mm -hmm. a sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, so that's where, why you have to come from both ways and make sure that it lines up. I see. Way. So when you say um, that the company that you are working with, that you'd be happy to, to do something for them, and then you say that, well, they don't have a brand. So what, what do you put in that uh, term brand? What does it mean to you? What is a brand and what is not a brand? If you want to create some kind of an emotional value, then you need to have something that is uh, specific to what you're doing. Yeah. That doesn't have to be, uh, actually, I would say that it, that it shouldn't be a construct. It, it can be and often are these days. But if you think about, you know, you're a tiny little bakery where they're just playing Charlie Parker or like whatever it it's is. It's not people. a bad idea. Yeah, because it's what, this is what they like. Yeah. And there are three people working there and you get to know them and it smells great and it's a nice environment. That's a brand. Yeah. I saw somewhere that you, you said uh, something like this and I really found that uh, interesting. Information is not communication. Communication is to connect. To connect is to understand. If you don't understand, you don't care. If you do not care, you do not act. All actions are emotional. I thought that's very helpful. And you have a lot of interesting clients. We're going to talk about the, the global uh, goals here in a minute, but I'd just like to mention that you just uh, finished the work for the Fox Network Group. Uh, we did. Reshaping their yeah. brand. I always have to say Fox Entertainment. I know. <laughs> because we have nothing to do with Fox News. And you also have worked with Marriott Bonvoy, Apple, Spotify, Verizon. Uh, and I also saw that you were designing the, um, was it the title for the Dieter Rams documentary by Gary Hunstedt? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That must have been a pretty scary experience. It started 12 years ago, 13, 14 years ago, I don't know. I read that there was a guy whose name was Gary Hustwit who is going to do a Helvetica documentary. And I said, no, you're not without me. Like, that's a project <laughs> I just have to be part of. So I contacted him. We helped him in different ways with that, became also producers for the film, and then we did graphics and et cetera, et cetera. So since then, we have been working with, I want to say all of his movies, but it may be one that we haven't worked. Yeah. Uh, Dieter Rams uh, is, has been central to everything that I do and that we believe in here. Yeah. You also designed the video wall at uh, the IAC building which is quite an important part of that whole building. It's the Frank Gehry's building on yeah. the West Side Highway. Yeah. That was the first large-scale uh, production that we did. And I think we did that in 2006 or something. Yeah. It was a long time ago. And that was fantastic. It's funny to see what has happened with screens in the last 10 years. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the big project for the United Nations. In the year 2000, a, a, a bunch of people 
went together and said that we should have some kind of goals that directs the work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, the best expert on the millennial development goals, but, but they were largely focused on the, the work that was done in developing countries. Uh, in regards to poverty and hunger, etc. Yeah. And there were eight goals of them. And they were goals for, for between 2000 and 2015. Hmm. And they were quite successful because, especially when in terms of poverty rates. Yeah. So the idea was that what's going to happen when those goals run their course, mm -hmm. then the idea came, of course, we need to have new goals. These new goals had different origins. There were, there were a lot of people who had input on it. And one of the sources, I think that is called The World We Want. Okay. When the UN literally asked seven million people, what would you see changed in the world? Mm -hmm. So there was, uh, that was definitely, must have been the, the biggest poll that anyone ever did. Yeah. So, so you really got a good, good sense of what people were worried about and what was their, their, where their hardships were. Yeah. And in parallel, there were uh, several conferences um, with uh, different UN organizations. Mm -hmm. and, and then they all got together and started to do, like, see how they could put together this new plan. Yeah. And uh, so the plan is 17 goals, and it's, it has 169 targets. Yeah. Now, in a sense, the targets are actually the real goals. And the goals, the 17 goals, I like to think about them as categories. Okay. So what is unique with the plan, well, there are two things that are unique, but the first unique thing with the plan is that it actually, before, before the plan existed, you could just say, well, there's so much trouble everywhere. Yeah. And I don't know if I, like, where should we begin? Yeah. And there's, there's uh, poverty, there's starvation, there are the killing of animals, there are very, very bad governments, there are, you know, this. So it just felt like it was a big yarn of just trouble. What the goals did was that they actually took all of these things that we need to work with and care about and had everyone chip in. And they said, okay, here it is. And what was formed with the 17 goals was what I like to call a periodic system. That is a, a periodic system of change or whatever you wanted to call it. But, but this covers everything that's wrong with the planet. Mm. Or I should say everything we should get better at. Of course, when you get down to details, there are things that you could say, argue it's not covered. Uh, but mostly, I, I think you could say that it covers... 98% of, yeah. of all our problems. How did you get this project? I heard this, uh, this uh, story that you met, uh, you know, um, Richard Curtis. And you, uh, can you tell the story when you... <laughs> yeah. 
We had been we we did a huge project for the BBC where we launched three new channels and we did their master brand and um, they were very happy with our work. The CEO, like me, had had been or wanted to be a DJ, so we connected. <laughs> and so when Richard Curtis, he started something called uh, Comic Relief mm -hmm. in in England about 25 years ago, I think. Yeah. And they have this main thing is the Red Nose Day, mm -hmm. which is uh, when you raise awareness for for uh, what's going on in the world and you raise money for children, yeah. children in Africa and England. Yeah. And he wanted to bring this over to to the States. Mm -hmm. He, of course, has basically grown up with the BBC and he asked the people at BBC who he should talk to and yeah. they say, you should definitely come and meet Jacob and his team. Mm. We had a really good meeting and the, the time was up about this Red Nose Day. And then he said, um, do you have 10 more minutes? <laughs> I love this. That was sort of the, the <laughs> Steve Jobs one more thing. <laughs> exactly. So, and then he told me the whole thing, asked me if I knew what the SDGs were, which I didn't. Just a very small group of people knew that that this was in the work because this was a this is a year before the launch. Yeah. And I said SDGs because that's what they were called then. Yeah. And that's what the UN still called them. But anyway, uh, I had no idea. He gave me the outline of it, and I said I'm I'm a hundred percent in. <laughs> and um, he has done a few movies in his life too, like uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral and uh, yeah. Love Actually. And uh, I mean, he's not a yeah. He's done, the, he, he's done the Mr. Bean movies also. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Black Adder is the TV show. Um, so when you walk into these, um, the global goals, uh, as you call them, how do you describe them to people? Well, I say that um, there's, there's a lot that's wrong. And every time I'm saying that, I hear Bob Marley in my head, so much trouble in the world. <laughs> but, and I'm saying, but now we have a plan. Yeah. You know, and this is the plan. And I think that, you know, people at, in the beginning feels a little bit intimidated that it's 17 goals. But when you really start to think about them, they're actually, you know, if you would, if you would make a list of the goals in your life, yeah. that would be a lot more than 17, I hope. You can, you can just go through them one by one and people are, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. That very question was at the heart of the early work because it was a, a, a big fight, a big internal fight at the UN uh, where a lot of people said, 10 goals, that's maximum. You, yeah. have, you have to get it down to 10 because people are never going to remember more than 10 goals. Of course, then they didn't know, those people didn't know how you create communication systems. Mm -hmm. And I mean, now I think that everyone 
who are interested in these questions are pretty good actually at, at even like name, naming and numbering the, the goals. Yeah, I, have, I was given this um, helpful tool here. You're very creative in, in uh, communicating these goals. And this little tool here, it looks like uh, those paint chips that uh, the painter will give you before you decide what color you want to use. It's a rectangular block of pages and you have all the various goals in here displayed with the targets underneath. So yeah. you could just flip through it and, um, and uh, understand and get the, 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 the gist of what it means. So for you then, it must have been a very big uh, challenge because I can imagine that the UN is a bureaucracy of some sort. I mean, there you're handed some written material. Now mm -hmm. you have to go in and take away, as you said before, yeah. the things that are not necessary. Yeah. So how, how was that process? I mean, you obviously survived it, but everybody who knows, who've been in that kind of situation knows that there's a lot of political infighting, you know, they don't want you to change certain words or they don't want you to put a symbol for the goals because that's really what you've done here. You, you, you mm -hmm. symbolize the goal. That's the, so can you tell me a little bit about the, the, the challenge for you as a designer in this project? I think that all relationships are, there are many, many parts of it, but one is obviously power. Who has the power in a relationship uh, with a client is, is something that can shift back and forth, but there are certain parts, certain times in a project when you know that you really have the power. Yeah. They were, basically they were screwed because they had this infighting about how many goals they were gonna have, and then they had the goals, and when they looked at the list, the original list, I mean, anyone would say that, yeah, this is gonna be hard to communicate. And this was the discussions in the communication hub. For me, uh, I took the list of them, and I said, if I'm gonna do this, it's gotta start with me understanding it. Yeah. So the first thing was the education of Jacob. Yeah. I just printed out the list and then I wrote in the margin what I what it was about. Yeah. I was like, okay, this is about poverty, this is about hunger, this is about health, this is about education, this is about gender equality, and this is about water, this is about energy. Mm -hmm. And and it became pretty clear what it was about. So like that was the first thing for me to say these are the subject matters here. And the second was then, okay, so how much of a direction do we give them? How many more words do you need? And for me, it was like, as long as you know what group you're in, yeah. I'm happy. Yeah. And then we made them, what I say, future positive by not calling goal one, for example, end hunger, mm -hmm. call it no hunger. You see the goal post, yeah. and the goal post says no hunger. It yeah. doesn't say end hunger, because that's, that's the journey. Yeah. And once we kind of understood what they were about, even though some of them were, were harder mm -hmm. to like, really get a grasp, Around. Which one was those? Which one created problems for you? Eight was problematic. Eight is, it's about the workings of businesses, you could say. Yeah. So that was, uh, and nine also, which is about infrastructure. But, you know, as with all things, once you know the answer, it's like, how could this have been hard? 
uh, and then gold 17, we called partnerships. That was really hard to understand what that was about, really. I actually, my first name for that was Global Consciousness, mm -hmm. which would have been a lovely name for it. Mm -hmm. They shot that down in, in a second. But it's actually what it's, <laughs> about. it's, actually what it's about. That, that whole goal is about, you know, we need to help each other. Yeah. And we need to help the people who needs to build up their countries. And we need to help them to not make the same mistakes that we have done. Yeah. They need to have, you know, the way that, that it's been with developing countries is that they get the, like, leftover technology from, from us, right? Yeah. And it really needs to be the other way around. They need to get the absolute most modern technology because otherwise, you know, all of the... We can forget about, about you know, keeping energy consumption yeah. down, etc. Yeah. So they need to be on the forefront. Yeah. So global consciousness. I see. So which, which of these goals were your favorite? Well, I, I think gender equality, because uh -huh. it's, it's like, it's just insane to not let gender equality, like we are so behind on that. And it's insane for all the worst reasons, because it's building on like some kind of leftover material from, from you know, the reptilian brain that we have, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's also a manifestation of man's really of men's really poor ego. One other dimension here, and you touched upon it before a little bit, is also that there is a political um, aspects of this. And how how did you manage those things? Because you have one goal about climate action and. Uh, um, the environment and things like that. There are a couple of angles on that, but one is that, yes, I tried to make sure that all of these names, uh, because obviously, just so no one misunderstands that, the actual goals were, of course, set by the UN. Yeah. It's, it's just how we talk about them, what we call them. Yeah. You know? uh, for me, it was very, very important that they were apolitical. Funny that you're mentioning climate action because I felt at that time, and this is five years ago now I started to work on this, I felt like that was infected. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to call that, that goal actually protect the planet. No one can argue about that. Yeah. Like some person, they, they, like, they don't believe in scientists. Yeah. It's like saying, like, yeah, I, my phone works in some way, but I don't think so. God probably made that phone. Yeah. That, that's, that's not scientists because they don't know what they're talking about. I guess those who are listening to this interview, they're thinking, so what are the 17 goals? So let me just go run through them. So no poverty, zero hunger, good health and well-being, quality education, gender equality that you commented on, Clean water and sanitation, affordable and clean energy, decent work and economic growth. Then we have industry, innovation and infrastructure, reduced inequalities, sustainable cities and communities, responsible consumption and production. Then the goal 13 is climate action, life below water. I, that's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Goal 13, climate action, that's what people think about as a climate goal, but 13, 14, 15, 
are very tightly connected. So that is uh, climate action, life below water, and life on land. Yeah, yeah because we're talking about the biosphere there. Yeah, and then you have peace and justice, strong institutions, and partnership for the goals that you also commented on. So some of these goals are interrelated. I remember one story you told me about Ethiopia, where sanitation is the most important part here. You have to have clean water in order for people to leave their homes and educate themselves. One of the strongest, you know, how you can affect most uh, young women and girls is if you build schools with toilets in developing countries. Yeah. When it comes to symbols, though, that must be another problem that you have, because you will always remember this classic cartoon with three, three parts, you know, a sick patient, eat a pill takes a pill and becomes a healthy person. It's just that in certain parts of the world you read from right to left, right? So, mm -hmm. so the pharmacy company didn't really communicate there. Yeah. So how did you end up with the symbols? I mean, because symbols, you said somewhere that people don't use forks in all parts of the world. So that could be an issue when it comes to food. For the symbols are essential in areas where people can't read. Yeah. There's a lot of, of uh, science and that you can read about memory and everyone who are the experts of remembering huge, like memorizing a book or whatever it is, yeah. they say that all the time they do it, they're like out on a walk in the city and they attach the words to objects. And I think that uh, to have symbols for these goals, it allows them to have a shortcut into our brain. Well, I would say then, life below water. If there are words, I'm, I'm gonna have to process them and say, okay, yeah, that goes in there. If I see the blue square with the fish under the waves, it's already there. Like, I've, I've just went to that place in my, so I think there's shortcuts. Mm -hmm. The whole thing, of course, is, is about remembering them and then also creating an emotional attachment to them. And it's much harder to do that with words. Obviously, there are words and sentences and poetry and etc. that we love and that, that are etched in our minds. But, but here we're talking about a, a large amount of new things yeah. that needs to go in. Even the experts uh, at the UN and in NGOs who have devoted their lives to like these different questions, when they think about what they're doing, they now see a color and a symbol because that's what what this is now. Yeah, I noticed that the UN logo is nowhere to be found in this material. Well, no, that's that's a sore point. Oh. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, it's not at all out of all of the material. It's what it is, is that um, we did a very successful job in convincing them that they needed these new names. But then uh, we also say these should not be called the Sust Sustainable Development Goals yeah. because that's boring. No, that's not emotional in any in any way. They should be called the global goals. That's, that feels like, yeah, here we have something all of us to work for. 
Um, and I think it sort of came a little bit under consideration, but there were a couple of people who were just so against it. So the solution was, which is not a solution, is that everyone is using the same system all over the world. Yeah. It's just that, that we, a big group of, of people, uh, call them the Global Goals and they call them the Sustainable Development Goals yeah. uh, or SDGs. So, so this is a, a to-do list for global leaders. It's actually not for global leaders. It's for absolutely everyone and that's why our work will never be done. <laughs> so so uh, we're working really hard on getting all people on the planet to understand this. Yeah. Because the thing is that you can roughly say that you have three partners in this thing. And it's, it's the people, it's the governments, and it's the companies. Mm -hmm. Then you do have organizations also that play uh, a role, and then you have academia that plays a role. But if, if you want to like, look at it in a, in a simple way, then you can say that these three all has, have to be engaged in this for it to happen. And, and it's the, the clearest comes from when you look at people or consumers, if you want. Yeah. And companies yeah because a lot of companies that we're working with in Stockholm they really want to be sustainable they want to change everything they can yeah but they're nervous because it's a transitional period where a their profits are going to go down while they invest in new equipment and B uh, they also know that some of the products are going to be a little bit more expensive they're going to last longer. That's part of the equation, also. But are the clients going to, are the customers going to like support them, or are they going to keep saying, "No, thank you. I'll buy this plastic one that is made by poor people in China." So it's got to come from both ends, because there are companies who really want to do good sustainable products that doesn't break and mm -hmm. that doesn't use too much plastic material and and you know and there are a lot of, of customers who can the people who can afford it yeah always goes for those quality products i see but we need to have an awareness that says like oh yes let's try to avoid plastic let's try to avoid palm oil let's try to avoid all of these things so mm -hmm. so the general public has a huge role to play in this because they are the ultimate power. They hold the power over the companies and they hold the power over the governments. I see. And there's a lot of activities all around the world and there are celebrities involved and you have campaigns and projects and stuff like that. So there's a lot of things happening. So you're still involved in the, in the project? Are you still moving ahead to the next phase or is it, is it something that the UN is now responsible for? What we produced uh, alarmingly right now. <laughs> yeah. He, we can let him pass. Broome is a very busy street. It's also these damn old buildings with thin windows. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing here. I mean, no. there, there, there is really nothing. Yeah, you, it's like you barely notice when you close them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it's, 
Uh, yeah, what was the question? So, so your involvement uh, oh, yes. in the project uh, right now? We created this tool, and we created the tool that was the 17 goals. And then uh, I wanted to, there were two things, and one thing is that I all of a sudden did only want to work with sustainability. Yeah. So everything that my company in New York does, I am really happy and proud about, but I felt like, you know, we just have the most talented people in the world here, and I can maybe focus on something else, like communicating for sustainability. So I opened a studio in Stockholm, and there we're only working on sustainability. So, uh, and we're working with everybody. We're working with organizations, we're working with companies, and we're working with governments. I see. So why was that important to, to break out in a separate entity? Is it because it's so much, it's more specific to that type of client and the, their needs and... Uh... There are many reasons. Uh, and one reason is that I knew that I would have to be, build different capabilities. Yeah. And that design was just one part of it. I also knew that we would have no money. Yeah. Like because no one spends money on saving the world. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't seem to have much much value to anybody, does it? <laughs> strange. It's a yeah. strange world yeah. we live in, right? Yeah. We spend a lot of money uh, destroying the world, that's for sure. Uh, but I knew that it was going to be um, initially very tight. And, of course, the people that I have in New York are the best people in the world yeah. at doing this. And they're working in a field that is uh, like a, a lot of motion, a lot of TV, a lot of film, a lot of animation. And th these are the best people in the world and they know it and we pay them for it so you can't have these people working on like a pro bono project because i understand so i i needed to have a different a different team and then also i knew that i needed writers i needed strategists i needed business strategists so, yeah so because for me it, it was all to merge what we know about communication and how essential it is for survival of the businesses also. Yeah. Because sustainability is not a compromise. Sustainability is, is something that today it will at the very least give you an edge. Yeah. And it will give you a success tomorrow. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah. It's just as there were no question about like in, in the year of 2000, that you had to get a, a website. Yeah. It's like digital was coming and sustainability is coming. Yeah. It's, it's like, and it's not coming because it's a fad, it's a cool thing that happens. It's coming because it's the only way that we can survive. That's right. It's interesting how this project has affected you professionally. Mm. I think that, you know, I grew up in a very liberal family and a very thinking family. I've, I've read, you know, op-eds since I can remember. Yeah. I've, I've always been 
thinking about social issues, I've been thinking about psychology, I've been thinking, and, and then also I've, I grew up as a big math head, I just loved mathematics, mm -hmm. uh, and I was building electronics, and like for me, and, and I was playing chess with my dad, and he read Wittgenstein, like, <laughs> so it was all about there has to be a logic somewhere. Things are put together yeah. in some way. And, and um, that's why it was such a pleasure to read um, Max Tang Boom's uh, The Mathematical Universe, or what uh -huh. it's called. Mm -hmm. um, well, I'm not going to say it was a pleasure, it was a pain, because it's almost, I mean... It's like an obsession. It's, it's, uh, but the whole idea that there in some way are like rules, the, the rules of nature are kind of rules of mathematics. Yeah. And that it has to be in a certain way. Yeah. Uh, because to think today that everything that we're doing is civilized, well, why don't you think that everyone thought that in the 15th century or you know, took a, literally a drill to people's head when they had, like to find out what was in there yeah you know and they they were that was the height of civilization then yeah and clearly we're living in just because we've achieved so much doesn't mean that mankind has evolved to where i hope it can go because it's just too much anger, there's just too much injustices. I came to this realization pretty recently that for me sustainability is about finding the most beautiful equations. Mm. You know, if, if you are doing something, let's say you want to you wanna work really hard and get rich, if the only way you can get rich is by making other people poor, that's not a sustainable system. No. Because, and, and it's not only, it's not, I mean, in that case, it may sound like I care about those people who get poor, and I do. Yeah. But, but that's not the point. The point is systems in balance, and systems that are not in balance are going to come crashing down. Yeah. Because they're not elegant. Yeah. And, and the, the systems in nature, although violent sometimes, has still a beauty in the way that they work. Yeah. So you were talking about beauty as in an equation, a mathematical equation for sustainability. Besides uh, the discard everything that means nothing, the, what we've used uh, later on was beauty and logic. Yeah. Because to me that seems like you create the best solutions and then you make them beautiful in every way and there's a beauty to there's a beauty to an equation that is so is as resource efficient as possible there's mm -hmm. a beauty in when you're planning your shopping trips a day when you realize that oh I can go there first and that way I don't have to go back and forth and like you know we all have a drive to make things uh, efficient and there's an elegance in that efficiency yeah and and uh, you know the thing is that the nature has 
been at this for a while. It's been at it for four billion years, right? Yes. So it's been trying solutions for four billion years. So it's like if you have a problem and it's like uh, this problem, you don't have to solve it now. You have all the time in the world and now you can just bombard it with the most crazy ideas yeah. and, s and see what sticks. So that's what nature has done, right? And yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, this thing worked. Yeah. Let's build on that. Yeah. And I'm going to try to make a, like a leaf that looks, looks like this. Oh, well, that fell, fell off in the wind. Yeah. So those trees are not a good idea. Like it's, it's, nature has had so much time to figure stuff out. And we're trying to figure this stuff out in, you know, basically in a few decades. Yeah. You can say in a couple of hundred years. Um, and, and when we're doing that, I think it's, it's, we need to be inspired by, by the organic way that the solutions work in nature. Yeah. And, you know, nature has no waste. Nature has zero waste. It just doesn't exist. Like if you have a planet and if some, yeah. if some, if a forest dies, then then some fire comes and takes it up, and then all of a sudden you have a new birth of that area. We are just the experts of just producing a lot of garbage, which didn't exist before us. Yeah, and um, and that's the inelegant solutions that are not going to work. Mm. So for me, I don't care what, what, you know, what you think about politics. I don't care what, I don't care about anything like other than think about what you're doing and if that's something that is sustainable. Yeah. So Jacob, are you, are you a, an optimist or a pessimist in, 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 in all of this? Uh... Yeah, I'm always an optimist. Mm. Um, but I'm also a realist. I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to wh whom I'm telling this to, because, yeah. uh, but here's, here's... Oh, we don't have any listeners. Yeah, <laughs> fine. <laughs> so you four people out there. Yes. Uh, the, the, the way it works is that if you want to solve a problem, you need a positive mind. That's just it. You can't get anything done if you don't have that mindset, okay, let's fix this. Yeah. Does that mean that I'm saying, yeah, by 2030, we are gonna have eradicated hunger and, and all women are gonna be treated equal, yeah. uh, are gonna be treated as human beings. Yeah. Uh, about the climate, are we gonna reach the 1.5? Well, we know that the northern countries are already above that. Is the planet warming? Yes. Are we getting more wildfires? Are, are the water rising? Yeah, it is. But maybe, maybe the big tipping points haven't quite been reached yet. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can do things that can stabilize uh, the climate. It's going to be warmer. We're yeah. not going back to the 50s. So I'm obviously not an optimist saying that, oh yeah, we're gonna fix this climate thing because we're beyond that. But if we're continuing as we're doing now, not decreasing, but accelerating our emissions, then it's gonna be hell here. Yeah. And that, because, and, 
And, and what happens what people don't understand is that, that when the water levels are rising, people, have, people are displaced, they have to go somewhere. And we saw just a few years ago uh, what happened when five million Syrians were running from the country. Yeah. It upended all of the political parties in all of Europe and Eastern Europe also. So if five million people are probably somewhat responsible for Brexit and all like the, the Swedish nationalist party, then they're talking about 500 million people. I mean, that's just going to cripple all of, of civilization. Not because we couldn't put 500 million people somewhere else, but socially we're not uh, uh, agile when it comes to that. Yeah. So there's going to be infighting, there's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be a nightmare. So those are the scenarios that we have to do everything to avoid. The harvests are just going to go to shit, right? So then you have a hunger problem with, with mass starvation. And water system, I mean, okay, let's stop this. But yeah. yes, I'm an optimist. <laughs> After all that, yes. Yeah, but but because it, you have to be. Because that's the alternative. Yeah. If we're not like, okay, let's do this. Yeah. So, so what are you working on right now? What's on your to-do list? We are working with uh, a number of companies in Stockholm and helping them uh, understand sustainability better and helping them to communicate about what they're doing and, and uh, moving them towards setting new goals, setting new uh, disciplines for how they run their business. We have uh, several educational projects that are in the works or that we're trying to get off the ground. We, we want to do a big education. Public education. Yeah, public education yeah. around sustainability and the goals. We have had seminars and workshops with the Skolverket. Mm -hmm. Could that be? Department of Education. Yes. <laughs> you be the translator. I, 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 I'll try. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we have a lot of things like that. And then we have some projects that are uh, that are trying to reshape how we look at the problems that we have. Mm -hmm. Trying to put in the complexity in, in the problems that we're working with. Because all the prob all problems today are complex. Yeah. You used to be a DJ in the past. I was, yeah. You still are, maybe. Uh, occasionally, I, I uh, play at a party every now and then, but, <laughs> but, it's, but it's, it's kind of rare. Um, so do you have anything you can recommend our listeners to, to listen to? Anything that you've... you've um... I, I haven't had that much time lately, but I usually make playlists like every three to six months on Spotify. So if you look me up on Spotify, there's some things there. That's a good recommendation. Yeah. Wonderful, Jacob. Um, thank you so much for taking the time. Now I also understand that you are an important gardener. Uh, you know, to take care of things, take away things that are not important. We're on a journey towards complexity, so yeah. you cannot, uh, I cannot stress that more than that we should not be afraid of complexity. That's, that's our future. 
Yeah, and maybe the, the, the hardest part is to make sense of complexity in yeah, order exactly. to deal with it. And, yeah. and in that work, you're, you're doing a, a wonderful job to help us grasp what we are talking about. So I congratulate you. Thank you very much. This is Art Insiders New York, and my name is Anders Holst. Thank you for listening, and be sure to visit artinsidersnewyork.com to join the conversation and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Art Insiders New York podcast, head over to iTunes, if you're not already there, to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This episode was produced by UOM LLC, copyright 2020.